Hey, good morning, church. Well, today is the day that we begin a week of reflection as Jesus followers, as we kind of think through the last week of Jesus's life. And I want to um, start this morning by giving you, giving you just a little, um, a little bit of my own like spiritual autobiography. Um, you know, as Sarah mentioned, uh, you know, in her story, same for me. I was raised at a church, uh, raised going to church. And it was easy for me growing up in the church cultures that, that you know, was in the 80s and 90s was, you know, um, a lot of emphasis on personal salvation that I uh, needed to understand that I was a sinner and that Jesus came to save me. And absolutely that is true. But, the, but one of the things that was not really emphasized, at least it wasn't that I recall, okay, and I, I want to always say that, like, I just didn't catch this, um, wasn't necessarily um, the idea that Jesus was Savior, that was absolutely emphasized, but, but not that Jesus was King. And so let me tell you kind of what happened to me. So I, I, about 15 or so years ago, I, I went on this kind of this like spiritual journey of sorts, an intellectual journey. Uh, it coincided with some other things that were happening in my life. And I realized at that moment that my faith in Jesus wasn't centered as it should be on the resurrection of Jesus. So there was a shift that happened away from kind of other things like, like this personal prayer, like, Lord, I believe you came and died for me. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, I want to ask, ask Jesus into my heart, which is all important. But what happened to me is I shifted away from my feelings, right? More of this like sense of feeling about how do I feel about, do I feel that Jesus died for me? Do I feel that I'm saved? You know, and, and that, your feelings, right? We all know they kind of go all over the place, right? And that kind of shifted to more like, wait a second, do I really believe that Jesus defeated death? So I went on this journey, I did a study, I, I studied like crazy, I took some master's courses, and, and I'll shift all that for another day, but I became absolutely convinced that Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross on Friday and was risen from the dead on Sunday. That changed my life. And it went from kind of like on the edges of my faith to the center of my faith. And I started seeing it everywhere. I was like, man, this is everywhere the, pre the, the apostles are preaching. They're always talking about Jesus defeated death. Jesus rose again. Um, but then another shift happened a few years after that. Because what happened was I started looking at more of the culture and the setting and really what, what the New Testament's really trying to convey about the historical Jesus and about what his claims were. And the second shift after the first one about centering my faith on the resurrection was understanding Jesus' claims to be king. He didn't claim just to be, be a savior. He, came to be, he claimed to be king. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. So what I want to do is I want to kind of trace this claim that Jesus makes. And then I want to ask ourselves some really hard questions around this claim, because this right here is the central claim that Jesus makes. We, we sometimes think, uh, you know, if, if you're new to church, you might get this impression that Jesus' last name is Christ, you know, Jesus Christ, you know. But that isn't his last name. That's a title. The title Christ means anointed one, Messiah. It's king. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're really saying Jesus, the anointed king. That's what you're saying, if you knew that or not. And so I want us to kind of understand this is central to what Jesus claimed to do. And it all kind of comes unveiled here on Good Friday or on Palm Sunday. So let's dive into Palm Sunday. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. American church here in front of me, okay? Because the idea of a king 
is not something we're super familiar with, right? In fact, if you're like most Americans, if you're like me, uh, I think, in, in, in fact, in the last 20 years, maybe we've become even more and more suspicious of people that have that kind of authority. The, the pandemic didn't help, right? We have our trauma from all of the ways the government kind of came in. We look at other countries. We look at the way those countries are set up. And, and so I think there's this kind of this feeling, and it just kind of grows in our, in our, even in our culture, that really being a king or the idea of a king is somehow bad. That, that, that kind of idea of authority is something that really isn't, isn't really good. It's kind of bad. And in and, and our country, we've become so accustomed to criticizing our leaders. Maybe we should pray for them more. Um, instead of all that we say on our Facebook posts or whatever, you know, but the truth of the matter is, right, I think for an American specifically, this idea that Jesus is king is something that might chafe us a little. And I think that we need to kind of come to terms with that. Because he didn't come just to save you, he came to be king. Let's look at this, all right? Uh, we're going to look at the, the, the account in Luke. Luke chapter 19, look at this uh, verse 28. It says, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And it says, he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And so it says, if anyone asks why you're untying the colt, just say the Lord needs it. So they went on, they found the colt, just as Jesus said. Hit the next one for me. And sure enough, as they were untying, the owner, the, it, untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? As, and the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. I love that, all right? So Jesus says, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. I need you to go down. You're going to see this colt tied up with his mommy, right? It's like a baby donkey. And I want you to, I want you to untie those uh, and bring them to me because I need it. I'm going to use the colt, right? I'm going to enter Jerusalem. Now, let me back up and, and kind of set that stage for us for a second. Because Jesus has been headed to, to Jerusalem for quite a long time. If you've read the book of Luke, you'll know the first time Luke writes about that is in chapter 9. This is chapter 19. So for 10 chapters, the text has been telling us that Jesus has been directing his attention toward his destination in Jerusalem. So this arrival is something that's been planned. This arrival is not something that's just kind of like, ah, I have nothing better to do. Let's go to Jerusalem. This is actually the climax of everything Jesus has been teaching toward, been leading toward. He's been healing people. Rumors and whispers about who, who Jesus actually is. Is he the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a rabbi? All these questions are, are kind of floating around Jesus. He's doing things that no one else has done. He's building a crowd. He's got these followers. He's got these disciples. He's got everywhere, everybody in, in somewhere on a spectrum of, of belief in Jesus and commitment to Jesus. And now he's headed toward the capital city. He'd been to Jerusalem a few other times, but this time was different. This time had a, a pace to it, a cadence to it as he's about to enter. He's not entering as a traveler or kind of a pilgrim. He's entering as a king. And he's going to make it unambiguous because he's going to ride in on a, on a donkey's colt. And he's going to ride in in this way that is kind of uh, oddly predicted in the Old Testament of, of, the, of the Lord, the day of the Lord coming to his capital. And so this happens. And so 
take the next one for me. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the, the crowds began to spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And they reached the place on the road where it crests the Mount of Olives and starts to go down. And so I want to kind of show us this picture. I'll go back to the verse, but if guys, can you throw my picture up there? This is the Mount of Olives. Um, if you are standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, you would look down and you'll see this where these kind of these trees and, and, and shrubbery are. That's the Kidron Valley. So this Mount of Olives is on this other side of, of the hill adjacent from the capital city from where the Temple Mount would have been, where the Dome of the Rock is now. And so Jesus sees this, this Kidron Valley stretched out before him, and he's going to go down the Mount of Olives and through the Kidron Valley, then into the gate, the Holda Gate probably, into Jerusalem. A year ago, I visited Jerusalem, and I had an opportunity to teach at this actual location. So here's a picture of me teaching there. And I'm talking about Jesus riding in to Jerusalem. Guys, I cannot wait till we, I wish I could just load you all up and take us over there. It's amazing, right? Because guys, can I go to rapid trail? These are real places. Like Jesus actually was walking here. This isn't some like fairy tale land, right? You can go to the places where Jesus is described of healing these people. And you can go to Bethany, right? Where Lazarus was raised from the dead. You can go to that location. You can crest the hill of uh, the Mount of Olives and you can see what Jesus would have seen 2,000 years ago. So back to my text, if you could jump back there. Great job back there, guys. <laughs> he says, all of the followers begin to shout and to sing as they walked along, praising God for the miracles they've seen. I just mentioned one of them. In John chapter 11, the greatest miracle in the book of John, outside of the resurrection of Jesus himself, was when Jesus boldly looked at the tomb of his friend and calls Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead there four days. Crazy. Come on. Jesus is defeating death. He's conquering anybody that was standing in his way. And now his disciples have finally got to this place where they're like, wow, Jesus the king has come. Jesus the king has arrived, and he's no longer restraining them. As in earlier times, he'd tell them, hey, don't say anything. Hey, don't, don't tell anyone who healed you. You know, don't go and proclaim this yet, right? He's no longer restraining people. He's allowing full voice to their, to their declaration. Let's hit the next one. Look what happens. They, they, here's what they're saying. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, these constant critics of Jesus. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And instead of rebuking his disciples or silencing them, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the, the stones will cry out. Jesus is king of creation, and if we don't do our job, he can get a rock to do it. So stop thinking you're all that important to what Jesus is doing in the world. He's used a donkey before, right? Come on. All right. So I want to say this, okay? I read that growing up. I knew, I knew this story. I knew this growing up in church. I knew that Jesus was the king, and that they, on top of the cross, king of the Jews is what Pilate wrote. I knew that, right? But for whatever reason, it just didn't register like it needed to. It didn't, it didn't really just go all the way down in my, my heart. Because I, I, I really was willing to accept Jesus as savior, but I struggled accepting him as king. And I want to kind of talk through that a little bit. Because what's clear here, the unambiguous declaration is that the king has arrived. The king has come. 
Okay, when I first started reading this story to you, there was a little statement. It said, after telling the story, and then it goes on to what we just read, he enters Jerusalem on this donkey. What was that story? There was a, there was a parable that Jesus taught right before this triumphal entry. And I think this parable is really critical to giving full explanation to what it means that the Jesus is king. So I want to look at this parable. This is in the same text, Luke 19, but we're going to go up to verse 11 now. This is what immediately preceded what we just read about his entry. Watch this story. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told him a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God was, would, would begin right away. Remember, I told you there's this fever pitch. People are excited. People are like, man, wow, who could ever? If Jesus is really the Messiah, man, no one could defeat him. No one could. If, someone, if we had an army and we're going to go against Rome and someone dies, he could just rise him from the dead, right? Like, I mean, if we got hungry, he could take a lunch and make a feast. I mean, like, Jesus can do anything, right? Like, let's go. Like, that was the attitude. That was the disciples' feeling. And Jesus knew it. And he knew they were going to be expecting a war, a battle in Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of Jesus was going to come into full force right then. And so he tells a story. Verse 12, it says, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. This should say verse 13. I'm sorry, I didn't I messed up my things. Okay, uh, back up, sorry. <laughs> Go back one, yeah. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. So here's the setup for the story. He says, there is a nobleman. You can call him like a, a crown prince. Okay. He's not yet the king, but he's like this crown prince and he's going to leave to a far country and he's going to be crowned and then he's going to come back. But before he goes, he gathers his servants together and he says, I've got an assignment for you. I'm going to give each of you basically four months wages and I want to see what you do with it while I'm gone. I'm going to be gone. When I return, I'll see how you do. All right, look at the next one. He says, but the people hated him, the people of the country. They hated him. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be, let's all say it, to be what? Our king. Guys, this right here is Jesus's way of basically giving voice to what most human beings think about God. And this is the cry of most human beings. I do not want him to be my king. This is instilled in our rebellious hearts. Men and women, I want to just tell you, we are rebels against God's authority. This is a part of how we were born. We were born in this rebellious state. Our ancient ancestors defied God's laws and walked in disobedience. And so the human race has been this difficult, rebellious race. God took one people, the, the, the Jewish people, and he gave them their laws, and they still lived in rebellion and disobedience to that holy authority in their life. That's just part of our problem with God. We do not want him to be our king. We want to be our own king. And let me just tell you, it's not working out very good. Turn, turn on the news. Being our own king isn't how we were made to be. We were made to be made in God's image. He's the true king. We were to represent him. We were to walk in submission to his authority. We were to live that out. And we aren't. As a race, we're in rebellion. And so this is in that story. Jesus is kind of giving voice to that, right? Look what he says in the next one. He says, after he was crowned king, he returned. Now, I, wanna, I want us to cheer. 
when I read that. Because this right here is the turn in the story. So up until that point, the crown prince, he's got these, sold, these, these, you know, these, these servants, they're doing work for him. And so now he's going to leave, he's going to return. And so what Jesus is telling us, his disciples, is after he's crowned king and he returns, right, now it's time to see how people do. So let's read this again and let's cheer because our king is going to return. You ready? After he was crowned king, he returned. There you go, there you go, there you go. And he called his servants to whom he had given the money. And he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first reported, Master, I've invested your money and it made 10 times the amount. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and it made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You're going to be governor over five. He does the same thing with the first. And so it just, he's looking at these faithful servants and he says, you know what? You were, you were faithful in my absence. You will be rewarded in my presence. You were unashamed to represent me in a hostile world. You were unashamed to be known as one of my servants in a, in a, in a situation where the people didn't want him to be king. Are you with me? But then here comes the third servant. The third one brought only the amount, the original amount of money. And he said, uh, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with. Taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. What a, what a terrible view that the third slave or servant has of this king. In fact, it's identical to the citizens of the country. The rebellious citizens and this third servant have the same kind of view. Is They don't want him to be king. And true, they're unwilling to be identified as his subjects. They're unwilling to be identified as someone associated with the king. And so this third servant, rather than having anything public to do with the king, rather, sorry, can't speak, um, unwilling to be identified with the king publicly, what does he do? He hides what the king's given him and buries it in the ground. In those days, that was a common way to handle treasure. You've heard of buried treasure, right? The reason there is such a thing as buried treasure is because a lot of times the banking systems weren't reliable. And so what you would do if you wanted to just keep preserving what you had, you would just bury the treasure. And that's what this young uh, or this third servant does. Guys, let me say this to you. Your view of the king determines your obedience to the king. If you see him as beautiful and glorious and good and someone that gave his life for you, then your view of the king, that view is like, Lord, I give you back everything for me. You've given everything for me. I give you everything in return. Look what the king says to that servant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew I was a hard man, and takes what isn't, you know, mine and harvest plants that I didn't, you know, plant, then why didn't you at least deposit my money and let the interest accrue? At least represent me at the money changers so that I could get the minimal interest back on my, on my money. But see, he was unwilling to be publicly identified with the king. See, what shifted for me in my own walk with Jesus, guys, is I started realizing it's one thing to say, oh, I want Jesus to save me. I, I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus to save me. 
But it's a whole other thing to say, I want Jesus to be my authority. I want Jesus to be my king. This actually kind of reminded me of, 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 of another saying of Jesus. It's one of the hardest sayings in the Bible. It's in, it's in Mark 8. It's, it shows up in a few different ways, but here's Mark 8's version. And Jesus says this, he calls the crowd and his disciples together. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean to deny yourself? Well, what it means is you currently have this seat of authority that you sit on in your life. And if you're going to come into this relationship with Jesus, you got to move over. <laughs> you know, if you're having a couple kids in the, in the car seat or in the car, you know, sit and they're fighting over who gets to sit front, you know, like oh, I got a shotgun. No, I called it first. You know, the whole fighting goes on like that. And, or, so, and so, so, but then, you know, my wife jumps in the car, you know what I'm saying to the girls? Y'all move over, right? <laughs> like my wife is here now. She sits in that seat because she carries that authority. She carries that place in my heart. Like get in the back, right? Come on. Michelle's sitting in the car, right? It's, it's, it's like you meet Jesus. Listen, guys, you meet Jesus. And it's like, I'm getting in the back. Here it is. You place King Jesus where the self normally sits. That's what it means to deny yourself. Hey, I, I, I usually call the shots. I usually get up when I want and go what I want, do what I want, say what I want, spend my money where I want. But then I met Jesus the king. And then I had to move over because he sits there. Guys, that's what it means. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, he didn't come riding in to be an option. He came riding in to be king. Move over. The king has come. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. You want to stay on that seat? Go right ahead. You're going to lose it. You can't keep it. But if you want to save your life, move over. Move over and let me drive. I'll save you. I'll save you. I'll save you. Guys, he cannot be savior if he's not king. They're entwined. They're together. It comes, it, it's a package deal. He doesn't save you to let you stay as king. He saves you. And in saving you, he moves you over so that he can take over, so he can drive you out of the prison of sin that you've built. And he says, let me set you free. I'm going to break some chains. I'm going to forgive your past. I'm going to take care of that shame. And I'm going to give you a new destination in my kingdom that will never end. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life for me and the gospel's sake, you will find it, please, move over. And then he asked the most haunting question I think Jesus has ever asked. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then he says it, friends, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes with his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
When the king returns and he evaluates us, it's not going to be, did you hang out with Christians? Did you go to church? See, the third servant, he's a, tr- he's a tricky one, right? Because he's, he's called a servant. He's one of the servants. And people kind of wonder, like, well, uh, did he lose his salvation? You know, what's that? Guys, listen, 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 listen. He's not a servant if he isn't serving, right? Let's not overthink this. I don't care what he, I, he calls himself. If he's not willing to identify with the king in his absence, he's not a servant because servants are those who give allegiance to their absent king because they know this. When the king returns, he's coming back in the glory of his father and I want to be right there when he returns. I want to be excited about that return. I want to wait for that return and I want to say, come Lord Jesus, come because I'm eagerly anticipating Anticipating your, 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 your kingdom in your absence. I'm faithful while you're gone. See, we've made faith about how I feel about certain doctrines or truths. Do I feel like Jesus rose from the dead or not? Do I feel like Jesus is God or not? We've made faith a lot about how we feel. And sometimes we get doubts and we wonder, well, oh, maybe I've lost my faith. Maybe we need a different kind of understanding of faith. Maybe faith needs to be less about how I'm currently feeling and more about if I'm allegiant to a king who's returning. Maybe I go to church, not so much about just feeling a certain way, but I go to the church to be reminded that Jesus is king. And my brothers and sisters, when they see I'm weak, they say, hey, Brad, let's get faithful to the king. Because just like in marriage, it really doesn't matter how you feel about your spouse. It matters if you're faithful to your spouse. Right? Your wife is not going to wonder, like, how are you feeling today? Well, I don't know. I felt like we were married today, but tomorrow I don't know if I'm going to feel like we're married. No, that's not going to work, right? The thing she's going to expect from you is faithfulness no matter what day of the week it is. And that's exactly the relationship we have with Jesus. Because Jesus is king. Look at how this story ends, church. He says, turning to the others nearby, he says, take the money from this servant. And give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But those who do, not, who do nothing, who are ashamed of me, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine, who didn't want me to be their king, bring them here and execute them right here in front of me. Hmm. Jesus is king. One day every knee is going to bow. One day every injustice will be dealt with. One day every evil will be corrected and condemned. But friend, that doesn't have to be any of us. Today is the day of salvation. The, The king has come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The king has come to give you an opportunity before judgment to enter into the glory of his kingdom, to confess him as king, to move over and let him be in charge. And so here's here's where we land today. Here's where we land today. When I wake up in the morning, there should be one question I ask. And that's this. What does my King Jesus ask of me today? What does my King Jesus want for me today? Guys, the enemy has only one tactic. He uses lots of different strategies, but it's basically one goal. 
And that is to keep you serving yourself, to keep you on that throne, to keep pretending that you call the shots. When every day you look in the mirror and you realize I'm getting a little older, <laughs> death is coming, whether I like it or not, I'm really not in control. I really don't have, you know, everything figured out. I really am mortal. I really don't have this life. I cannot keep this life. I'm losing it. That is the case. And so the question for a disciple of Jesus is, I've given up my life. I've got one question. What does my king want? Let me tell you some of the things he'll say to you. He'll say things like, I want you to forgive your enemies. I want you to pray for those that use you. I want you to go two miles when you only have to go one. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to live generously. It's more blessed to give than receive. I want you to stop trying to hoard for tomorrow's troubles. In fact, I want you to realize that I clothe the lily of the field and I provide for the birds of the air, and you matter so much more to me than they do. I want you to love your wife and your husband and your friends with the kind of love that I gave to you, a love that just is unconditional. Don't want you to live with bitterness in your heart. I don't want you to live like the world lives, worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I want you to Walk with your Father in heaven. I want you to take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want you to walk in obedience, in faithfulness. I don't know where you're at with that question. Is Jesus king? I want you to put this on the screen, guys, in the back of your can. Here's the question I want you to start your morning with. As we go into Holy Week, if Jesus was my king, what would I do? Maybe you're in a tough situation at work. If Jesus was my king, what would I do? Here's, here's what I want you to think about. Are there places where you're tempted to step away from association with Jesus? Are there places in your life where it's easier to say, oh, I'm not really a Christian? Or I'm not really going to be associated with Jesus because I'm too worried about my reputation. Guys, that right there is the path to hell because Jesus is king. And to deny him is to deny your only way out. Are you with me, guys? So we want to be faithful to Jesus. And when we fail, we say, Lord, help me to be more faithful. I do not want to deny you. God, put people in my life to encourage me. Strengthen me in the Holy Spirit. When I'm weak, like, like Peter, in this very same week, right? By, we know by the end of the week, Peter does exactly this, right? He denies even knowing Jesus. And what does our good king do? He comes after Peter, even in his weak moment, and said, Peter, do you love me? So that tells me that even in our worst moments, our God is still faithful. He's still going to chase us. But I'm worried that we will deceive ourselves into thinking we really don't need a king. Guys, so I want you to hear this correctly. What salvation is, is you and me understanding that we have given up the rights to ourselves. And we're tempted away from that. And so bringing ourselves back underneath this one central claim, Jesus, you're king. God, I crucify my old life on the cross. I'm crucified with Jesus. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. My old life is dead. My new life is in him. God, help me to stay on this cross and follow Jesus until you return. Help me to be faithful. Can we all stand together, church? As we meditate on Jesus's royal entry into Jerusalem, the question that's before our church this morning is this question, is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king in my marriage? Is Jesus my king at work? Is Jesus my king with my children? Is Jesus my king with my friendships? Is Jesus my king in my free time? Is Jesus my king at nighttime? Is Jesus my king when no one's around? Is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king? Lord, be our king. If you've never bowed your knee to King Jesus, if you've come to church today and you know when I'm talking about is Jesus King, you know you're still the one driving. You know that about yourself. I'm gonna invite you right where you are to make a bold step toward Jesus being King. In just a minute, I'm gonna invite our prayer team. In fact, if your prayer team folks could come forward right now, I'm gonna invite us that need to make Jesus King to come and not be ashamed of Jesus right now. And whether you've never met, made Jesus King or maybe you have, but you know it's been a bit since there's some areas where you just like are wrestling with this and you just need Jesus to be King again and you're gonna declare in front of everyone here that he's your King. I'm gonna invite us to come forward and pray. If you've never ever came into a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and pray with some of the folks that are up here that would, be lo that would love to pray with you. And if you know there are areas in your life where you just need someone to just help you, maybe you've got a, a, a terrible situation going on in life and you just are feeling so overwhelmed by the enemy and you want a brother or sister to pray with you about that, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and pray. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna spend a few minutes praying as a church and coming around this idea that Jesus is King. So as I pray, that'll be your signal, church, to move forward and start getting prayer if you need prayer. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed to call you his own. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. And so, Father, I'm praying for your spirit to move. Just move. Convict the hearts that need convicting. Soften the hearts that need softening. Open the eyes of the blind. Help them to see their true spiritual state. God, may we make you king. You did not come to be our coach. You did not come to be our, 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 just our companion. God, you came as king. You are, you are so many more things than that, but you are first and foremost king. So Lord, may we receive you in that proper way. So right now is your, your chance, church. If you need prayer, if you need to confess sin, if you need to just come forward and bow down before Jesus, guys, do not be ashamed of Jesus. I'm encouraging you right now, just come and pour it out before the Lord. If you need someone to pray for you, I'm just gonna, we're gonna hang out right here. We're just gonna have a, a time to pray. Maybe, maybe there's a sin in your life. You just wanna confess it. You know you haven't been acting in allegiance to Jesus and you wanna confess it and you wanna give it away and, and get rid of it. I'm gonna ask you to come forward and do that right now. But before we go into Holy Week, guys, I want us to go in understanding Jesus as King. So right now, let's just have a moment with the Lord. Right now, just come on forward if you need that prayer.
church, uh, I'm gonna let you guys keep praying, but I'm gonna tell you a story. I was, I was preaching in chapel on Friday to our middle school. You guys remember how hard middle school is. And I talked about how, they, how Jesus understands. My sermon was Jesus understands. He understands what you're going through. We walked through the last few days of Jesus, or the last few hours of, of Jesus' life. I talked about how Jesus was betrayed. I said, he understands betrayal. Have you ever had a friend that betrayed you? You thought you were friends, and then you found out they're talking about you? Kids are nodding. And I said, Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked. I talked about Jesus being mocked by the soldiers. I said, you guys ever been made fun of? Yeah. And then I talked about Jesus on the cross, the pain that he endured. You guys experienced pain? In that chapel, I said to the kids, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, raise your hand. So some kids started raising their hands. I go, wait a second. If you really want to receive Jesus, stand up. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Guys, so many of these middle school kids started standing up, asking Jesus into their life. (laughs) Guys, if middle school kids can stand up in front of their friends in the most like, like, you know, intimidating season of your entire life. Can we adults take the name of Jesus and not be ashamed, right? Do not let the little kids, you know, pass us up here, right? Like, like let's not be ashamed of Jesus. So let me call you again. If you, if you know that there's some areas in your life where you're not associating with Jesus publicly, you're being silent, you're being a coward, you're not standing up for him at work, you're not, you're not associating with Jesus in different areas. Guys, today, repent of that and receive that forgiveness and have Jesus in your life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never accepted Jesus as their king, that today would be the day they would confess Jesus as king. They would admit that they are sinners, that they are rebels at their heart. They would admit that they are, that they are in need of you, your forgiveness. They would, they would come to you humbly. They would receive Jesus wholly, and they would become complete citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name.